As we are staying, we go to the word of the Lord today, 2 Chronicles, the 20th chapter, 2 Chronicles 20. Amen. The word of the Lord says, it came to pass after this also, the children of Moab, the children of Ammon, with them, uh, other beside the Ammonites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, uh, they be in Hazazan Tamar, which is in Jedi. So we'll just call that H and E. We'll just call that place He. Yeah. In verse 3, And Jehoshaphat feared, and he set himself to seek the Lord, proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Not a bad thing there. Verse, skipping down to verse 15. And the Lord said, he said, Hearken ye all Judah and all ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jerul. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. Amen. I want to preach to you today from this title, The Battle and the Breaking. The Battle and the Breaking. Turn to a few people, greet them as you're seated today. Man, I'm, I'm sure that this started out uh, just as any other day for Jehoshaphat, uh, going through his daily habits and traditions, whatever he was uh, doing, just seems like another ordinary day. But in a moment, everything changed. That beautiful day quickly became dark and dreary. The smile that uh, disappeared from his face, his joy and happiness, they went on vacation. And once he received the news that there was a great multitude that was coming against them and were preparing for war uh, to uh, wipe them out, to annihilate them, whenever there's a multitude that is gathering against you, it's never going to be a good thing. They're not coming to celebrate, but they're coming to defeat you. But our text said that he feared and he became afraid, which I can probably understand that would be a, a natural response when you hear that there is a massive army that is coming against you. Can't blame him for that. But here is where we can learn from Jehoshaphat is that when he heard the bad news, he didn't go talking to his military generals he, uh, on what they should do, what kind of plan they should come up with. He didn't go gather all his wise counsel and figure out what kind of actions that they needed to take and he didn't phone a friend and ask them what we need to do. No, the Bible says that Jehoshaphat feared, and what did he do? He set himself to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast. His first reaction to the news was, I need to get a hold of God. 
I need to seek the Lord. I got to get close to him that I'm not concerned about what other people may be thinking or what their thoughts or plans are. No, I've got to get a hold of God. I've got to seek the Lord because I know that the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous runneth into it and is safe. I mean, the Bible doesn't say that about anybody else. My best friend is a strong tower. No, it doesn't say that. But what does it say? It says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. So I know why Jehoshaphat said I got to get a hold of God. I got to begin seeking God after this because I know that if I run into him, into his strong tower and his presence there, I can be safe. And so if you, are, if you receive bad news and you become afraid or anxious or whatever uh, emotion we may feel, uh, should, not, should not be the first place that we run to, shouldn't that be the place that we go to first, is the strong tower of the name of our God. That should be the first place, the first thing in our mind where we can go to and feel safe. Amen, because we know the Bible says the name of the Lord is a strong tower. And so that's where I'm going to run to, uh, to feel safe and secure when I receive any kind of dreadful news or see things happen or, or darkness comes my way or a multitude is coming against me. I'm going to seek the Lord with all that I can because that's going to be the best place that I can go. And that is exactly where Jehoshaphat ran to. He ran there first. Why not go there first instead of last? Many times we end up going there last because we try all these other things first. We, uh, we, we try our own thoughts and our own plans and our own abilities. And uh, let me go here and do this. Oh, I know what to do. Or I know how to address this. Or I know how to fix this. And why don't we just go to God first and worry about and let God worry about everything else. And we can probably save ourselves some time and some heartache and headache. We should run there while we still have strength in our body. We should run there while we still, uh, while our mind is still clear and not distracted. We should run there while our faith is still full and that what we have because the, if the Lord is the last place we run to, then we probably are all beat up, are exhausted. We're all worn out and our faith has been depleted and we barely have any uh, mustard seed of faith and uh, we're frustrated beyond all ends and uh, nothing has worked out. Maybe we've spent money and, and that didn't work out. And, uh, and so why not just run to the Lord in the first place and we can save all those steps uh, because we know that God is going to provide the way. He's going to give us an answer. He's going to comfort us like nobody else can. And he's going to be there to reassure us and give us strength because when we are weak, uh, then we can be strong through the power of God. Amen. And that should be always our first place to go is the strong tower of our God. And so Jehoshaphat did that uh, immediately, it says. He began to seek the Lord. He started praying, started seeking the Lord. And he, he said, I'm not going to wait around for disappointment, but I'm going to go ahead and get right in the presence of God. And so he began to set himself towards God and seek God. And he also declared a fast throughout all of Judah, and they all began to consecrate themselves, and they all began to seek the Lord because this issue just didn't affect Jehoshaphat, the king, but this was going to affect everybody. That great multitude wasn't coming just to take away the king, but it would take away everybody or kill everybody, and so everybody was affected by that, and so it's a good thing to see that they all started seeking God, and they all started fasting and gathering themselves and say, how can I get close to God? What do I need to do to get closer to him? Because that's the only place that we can go. And so I think because they all sought the Lord first, 
uh, and that they made a good choice in that. I think that maybe that is why uh, they got this kind of response, as we read in verse 15. Um, Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed, uh, by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Those are some comforting words already to know, hey, I don't got to worry about that big problem out there because God's going to go to battle. God's going to win the war. The battle is not mine, but it's God's. The sooner we accept that, the sooner we can lay everything down and say, God, I'm just here for you, whatever it is that you need. But God, the battle is yours. Uh, you're going to go and win this war and battle and fight for us. Amen. Because... He is the one in control. It says, tomorrow go ye down against them. Even though the battle, he said, is not yours, it's mine, you still need to go out and show yourself. You still need to go out and uh, uh, get ready. Don't, don't leave your swords and uh, your weapons behind, but still you need to go out and gather uh, and prepare for battle. Uh, God can do everything by himself, but he likes it when we show up and uh, volunteer some of our abilities, even though he doesn't need them. Uh, but he uh, still wants us to put some effort into it. Uh, tomorrow you need to go down. Behold, they will come by the cliff of Ziz. You shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jerel. Uh, you shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves uh, out there in formation. Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord with you. O Judah and Jerusalem, fear not. Nor be dismayed, tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. I don't know about you, but those are the type of battles that I want to be in where God just says, hey, I'm going to take it all. I'm going to take out the enemy. I'm going to do all the hard lifting and heavy work, and I just need you to show up. Uh, those are the type of battles that we want to fight uh, if we want to say we're fighting, but, uh, but God still wants us to be there and to be involved. We still need to go out and face the enemy, but through your faith, that's where uh, I will do the, the best work uh, is, uh, that I can is through your faith. As uh, uh, the Sunday school lesson was talking about worship and, and, and releasing your faith, that's how the battles are won because God needs our faith. Even though he can defeat the whole army by himself, he still wants his people out there releasing their faith and cheering their God on, saying, my God has got this. My God is greater than your God. There's nothing that can defeat my God. And releasing our praise and releasing our worship, that's how the battle gets won when God does it all through our faith. And so in verse 21, we see what happens when uh, they get down there uh, in standing uh, across from this great multitude that, uh, of warriors that were coming to uh, fight them. And, and can you imagine the, uh, the anticipation in, in uh, Jehoshaphat and, and all these people that heard the word of God, knowing that God says you don't even need to fight. You don't even need to raise your, your, your sword. Um, just stand, go out there and stand still, and I'm going to come, and you're going to see the salvation of the Lord. Can you imagine the excitement? I mean, I, uh, I, uh, just being there and knowing that a massive army is right there, and something, something miraculous is about to happen. Because God told us to come out there and just stand still and see what he does. Uh, you, you can only imagine what was going through their minds that our God is going to show up and, and uh, all of a sudden this something's going to happen that the enemy is going to be wiped out because God says this battle is not yours, it's mine. And, and so what do they do? Verse 21, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that they should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. 
And when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. And so you can't tell me that praise and worship doesn't do anything because that's what initiated God. That's what got God moving when people started singing and shouting and singing praises to God. And so uh, we know that the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. And so once the praises started going up, then the presence of God started moving and God started setting ambushes. And so don't let anything steal you or rob you from praising God, from lifting up praises to him, from singing songs of worship. Why? Because that's how God is going to fight for us. We got to be there in the battlefield, amen, standing strong and believing in our God and singing praises to the Lord. Praise you, the Lord. His mercy endureth forever, and that's all God needed to start going out and start setting ambushes uh, against their enemies. And the Bible says that they were smitten. Amen. Talk about uh, a, a great day in the day of, uh, of Judah uh, where they went out and faced a, a fearful army, uh, a great multitude, and God showed up and smote uh, their enemies. And so uh, I'm here to tell you today that if we stand with God, God's going to go before us. He'll go and he'll make a way. If God is for us, who can be against us? Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. Amen. We don't know uh, what's going on in the world. I mean, it doesn't look good. It gets worse and worse by the week, and uh, we don't know what we can do against it. That's okay. We're going to go ahead and send God out there and let God handle the problems. But we're just going to be here praising God and singing praises and worshiping him, doing our part in the battle and letting God fight the battle for us. Amen, as long as we are remaining faithful uh, to him, amen, God will be there for us, amen, and he wants us to release our faith, release our praise and worship, and let God do the rest. You can imagine the, the excitement after that, uh, the celebrations, I mean, uh, I mean, they were victorious, and they watched God do this great work, and uh, they, they pretty much, the enemy self-destructed, and uh, Israel, uh, Judah, came away victorious, knowing that they didn't do really anything, but God did everything. Uh, and you can imagine how, how full of faith that they were, uh, seeing God do this, when you're in the darkest time of your life and uh, you see God show up and bring you through or keep your hand upon you, doesn't that, doesn't that just give you some strength and encourage you that, hey, God's always there for me. He's not going to leave me or forsake me. He's going to make a way where there seems to be no way. Amen. And so we can be uh, energized uh, because of the works uh, that our God does, and rightfully so. Uh, just as long as we don't start trying to steal the glory. Because it's not about us. We didn't do anything about this. God did it all. We're just here singing and worshiping God and being faithful. Amen. And so all the glory gets goes to God. Amen. When we are uh, discouraged by the, the strength uh, uh, or the number of the enemy, God is not dismayed or he is not afraid because numbers don't matter to God. God can take them all out by himself, but he just likes to use our faith to, to release him into our situation. And, and so no matter what we are going through, whatever darkness or valley we are passing through, be sure to leave, release some faith in your situation so that God can, can continue to work and to make a way uh, out of that valley so that we can begin to celebrate the goodness of God. Hasn't God been good to people? been good to you? Has he ever brought you through a dark time? Has he ever stepped in and said, hey, hold on, let me handle this for you. You've been faithful enough. You've tried enough. I hear your prayers. I'm coming to answer them. I hear your cries. I'm here to deliver you out of your situation, and God will do that for you. Amen. And so what a, what a great day uh, in the record books here. And we see, we pick up 
As much as we want that to be the end of the story, to be to be the message for today, that God go will go before you, and you don't have to do anything, just stand there and stand still and let God do everything. As much as that will preach all day long, that is not the end of the story. There's always more. And so we see, picking up in verse 28, they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets under the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was upon all kingdoms of those countries when they had heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. You see, you see what happened is the fear of God just came down over the entire region and all the enemies of of Judah now were afraid, hey, we're not going to go in there now. We're not going to go after them anymore because their God showed up and he destroyed those armies. Uh, And see, you see what happens when we let God take over. We can try to fix things ourselves, but that doesn't mean the fear of God's going to fall on everybody else. But if we let God go first, if we let him take on the battle, he can do things far greater than we can ever imagine, but we just have to let go. We just have to step out in faith and say, my God has got this. My God's going to handle this situation, and I'm going to be here praising him and worshiping him. Amen. And we'll see the greatness and goodness that God does. And so uh, because of that, the fear of God fell upon everyone uh, all around about them, and uh, they were uh, afraid of, uh, of them. And so, verse 30, so the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for God gave him rest round about. Nobody else was going to try to come and fight them. Uh, nobody else, no other enemy was, gonna, was brave enough to come and attack them anymore. Why? Because uh, God showed up and he showed off. Uh, protecting his people, amen, and he's always going to do that. He's always going to be there with us uh, and to put a hedge of protection around us. Aren't you thankful for the hedge? You don't even know. We don't even know half the things that God keeps us from, but we're going to still give him praise for for all the unknowns. I don't even know what God did today and what he kept me from, but I know his hand is upon me and upon you and know that God is doing great things in our life. Yeah, sure, every now and again we, we see that car accident and we just miss it and we know uh, uh, how God kept us, but uh, all the other times are things that we don't even see. I know that God is at work. I know even though you can't see him on the right hand or left hand, you maybe can't even feel him doing things, but his hedge of protection is there around us, keeping us safe and protecting us from whatever the enemy is trying to throw at us. Man, and so uh, the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet. Amen. God gave him rest round about, and so there is now peace. Peace in Judah, peace in Jerusalem, peace in the region, all because of the hand of God that came down. Uh, Verse 31, Jehoshaphat reigned over Judah. He was 30 and 5 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 20 and 5 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the, the daughter of Silhi. And he walked in the way of Asa, his father, and departed not uh, from it, doing that which was right in the sight of the Lord. Amen. That's how you get God to stay on your side, right? Keep doing the right thing, even though uh, at times it may seem hard or uh, you don't want to do the right thing. But, hey, it's better to keep God on your side, better to keep God working against your enemies than working against you because we decided to, to, to take the wrong side of things. So he did what was right in the sight of the Lord. He was trying to do his best and do what God wanted to do. Uh, he was a good man trying to stay faithful just like you and I. Uh, when we are doing uh, what's right and uh, doing our best to do what is right in God's eyes, it's a fight every day. It's a battle every single day to stay on the straight and narrow uh, and to, k- to keep God first in our life. And so we praise God for his providence and his provision in our life and all that he's done and the battles that he, that he wins for us. Uh, and so... Uh, we see that uh, 
Jehoshaphat, he was not an evil man, but he was a good man. There were, uh, in the history of the kings of Judah and Israel, you can see that there were many wicked kings that arose. But there was also uh, good ones, and he was one of the good ones. Uh, and obviously, he had to be a good one for God to do this for them, to win the battle where they didn't even have to fight at all, just just to have a worship service and let God do the rest. Uh, and so he was obviously a good man trying to do his best, but again, that is not the end of the story. It continues on. Verse 33, how be it, the high places were not taken away. For as yet the people had not prepared their hearts unto the God of their fathers. So even through all of this, Bible says that there's still high places in their life, meaning <clears throat> there were altars to foreign gods, there are false idols, still up in Jerusalem, still up in Judah, uh, which was obviously breaking the commandment of God, the first commandment, hear, O Israel, the Lord, our, or thou shalt not have no other gods before me. Uh, and so... It's kind of, it kind of scratches your head a little bit here, because here God has done all this great things, this 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 mighty battle that He said you don't need to do anything. I'm gonna come and you're gonna see my my hand at work, and all the while there are still high places that have been torn down. There are still false gods that were built. Altars to these false gods. And however, however good Jehoshaphat was and he was doing right, there were still some things that needed to be addressed here in Jerusalem and Judah. The high places had not come down yet. Even though God fought for them and gave them victory in this battle, there were still some altars and high places that were not taken down. So I, I'm, not, I'm not here to say we don't need to celebrate our wins. We need to. We need to, we need to celebrate the good things and the, the victories and the, the miracles that God does. There's nothing wrong with that. But I, I think we need to do that because often it's, it's been a hard battle to get to the finish line. And, and we are so thankful that we have crossed it and we need to encourage ourselves in that. And even when we have achieved victory in battle... It doesn't mean that the war is over. It doesn't mean the war is over after a good worship service. There's still going to be problems waiting outside the doors for us. Even though we had a good time here, we come to church and we, we release our praise and worship and God moves and, and God does great things here while we're here, that doesn't mean that the war is over. God may have fought a battle for us, but the war is still on. And so, yes, we need to uh, celebrate in God's accomplishments and what God is doing in our lives and through us. But uh, we still we need to remember, hey, I can't, I can't uh, give up now. I can't get easy now and, and relax now because just had a good, uh, a good church service. No, the enemy is still out there. He's still as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And just because we went to church on Sunday doesn't mean he's going to leave us alone the rest of the week. And so uh, war consists of multiple battles. You can win a battle, but you can lose a war. You can have a good day, and you can have a bad week. You can have a good day at church, but the rest of the week be uh, in the valley of darkness. Uh, and so you can lose uh, a few battles, and you can still up ending the war, winning the war. 
And so it's not just a one single event, but it's, uh, it's the entire journey of our lifetime that even though at times we may fall and fail, that's not the end of it for us because God's going to help us get back up and we still got to keep on fighting the good fight of faith, amen, and we can still win the war even though we mess up a few times. God's grace and his mercy is there when we fall. Uh, a righteous man falls seven times, but yet he's still getting up. And so it doesn't matter the mistakes we've made. We've all have uh, faults and failures in our past. We just got to keep on getting up and keep on fighting and keep on pushing forward because it's not over yet. We may have won the battle or lost the battle, but we got to keep on fighting because there, it is not finished. And so we celebrate the victories in Jehoshaphat and all of Judah. They were celebrating the 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 great things that God had done for them, uh, but we need to be careful that we don't get blinded by our victories or God's victories, that we, we think that all is okay now. The great multitude is gone. The army is gone. God went out and defeated them, and we didn't have to do anything, and God saved us there, and yeah, we're, we're all good now because it's all over. There's no more enemies, nothing else to worry about. We need to be careful. Uh, when uh, we uh, see God doing great things because we don't need to get uh, lax, lackadaisical and think, oh, it's all over now. There's no more enemies to fight. Well, the Bible says there are still some things, still some things that needed to be broken. The battle was over, but there were still altars that needed to be broken down. And so we, uh, we have the power over the enemy through the Holy Ghost. Uh, we can cast out devils and bind them in Jesus' name. We can defeat those enemies and, and build up new altars of victory. But uh, the one thing we can't cast out is our flesh. We can easily deal with devils and, and darkness, but our own carnal flesh is a lot harder to deal with. Every day we have to deal with it. And every day we have to fight against it where the flesh and the spirit war against one another. Uh, the struggle with its desires. And it's our flesh that is most likely responsible for uh, these altars in high places. We use the phrase uh, building an altar to God. And obviously that symbolizes our, our commitment and our consecration to God. And uh, we should have many altars in our life where we're constantly building new altars and uh, we need more of them in our life, more altars of dedication and consecration and more altars of, of, of sacrificial uh, giving and uh, devotion. And uh, we, are the we are in the altar building business and that is great. We, but we don't need to be just about building new altars. We also need to make sure that we are tearing down some, some that don't belong, some that somehow they got built. We allowed them to be built. Or whether, the, whether the enemy built those altars in high places in our life or we allowed them to or, or whether we did unknowingly or purposely, uh, just because the great multitude and the battle is over doesn't mean that there's nothing else that needs to be fought for. Some altars in our life uh, could be bad ones. I know, I know we, we, we term the phrase altar as, as a good thing, and most, most of the time it is. But if they're here in, in Judah, uh, they had bad altars that were still up. There was one good altar in the temple of God, but there were many bad altars in the high places around Jerusalem and Judah. It's great that we build 14 new altars, but uh, that bad habit altar is still up. And it can still affect us. And it still does affect us. It's not until we deal with those altars and tear those down and, and break those down that we can even see even more progress in our life. Because for every two steps forward that we make it's, and every two new altars we'll build, we will be forced to take a step back because there's still an altar that needs to be torn down. 
There's still something in our life that needs to be removed. An altar that is burning sacrifices to our pride and our lust and our, our addictions or any other fruit of the flesh that are still alive in our life. But if we don't go home and tear them down and deal with them, they're always going to be there. Those things aren't going to self-destruct. We can't ignore them and act like, oh, they're just kind of going to go away. No, it's, it, was, it's, it was an altar. It was built. It's some purpose, some event, some decision uh, enabled that uh, to be built up in the high places. And so we'll talk about a few of these that uh, it can, uh, we all can maybe identify with at least maybe one of them or, or a few. But uh, these that I'm going to mention uh, do not encompass all of them. You may be, have an, uh, an altar in your life, uh, uh, a high place in your life that is not talked about today, and that's something that you need to deal with. We all have these things that we need, we need to deal with and search our life for and say, uh, are all the high places torn down in my life? Yeah, God is doing great things, and, and yeah, Sunday was awesome, and we had a, we had a great service, and, and God poured out His Spirit, and we felt Him moving in the church, and it was a, wow, what, a, what an awesome service. But that doesn't mean that you go home and there's, still not, there's nothing there that needs to be worked on. God will still show up. Why? Because he pours out his grace. God still shows up because we need him. God still shows up because he inhabits the praises of his people. He still shows up because the Bible says where two or three are gathered in his name, he's there in the midst. So, of course, God's going to show up on Sunday because here the people of God has assembled, but we need to be careful that we don't uh, mis misuse that as thinking that everything's okay in my life. Because back home, I can have some high places still up. And God can still show up and, and win the battle and, and do everything for me. And I don't have to, all I have to do is sing praises to God. But all the while, high places are still up. What happens is we can think that everything was good because we had a good service and there's nothing else to worry about. All the while... Doing good, Jehoshaphat was doing good, seeking after God and doing all these things, but yet still, how be it, the high places were not taken away. And so one of the first uh, altars I'm going to talk about is uh, the altar of, of, of satisfaction. Maybe something you wouldn't maybe expect, but satisfaction is a dangerous altar to have in our life. The altar is constructed when we look around and we like what we see and we are satisfied with everything. Satisfied where we're at, satisfied with how many people are here, uh, satisfied with this and that. The altar of satisfaction is so dangerous because once you get in that thing and uh, you, you, uh, once you get satisfied, you, you really don't care about much anymore. And again, we, you know, we have, there has to be some level of satisfaction in our life. We can't walk around depressed and everything. We have to be proud and, and all these things. Uh, but there's a dangerous side of it where you can get so satisfied that you don't care about anything else. I'm happy with the way things are. Um, uh, and so uh, there's nothing else uh, I, I really want to do. It takes away our desire. And uh, comfort will kill you. Satisfaction will kill your ambition. Kill your desire for more. Kill your appetite for more growth. If, we're sat if you're satisfied with your job, then you won't be looking for another one, right? And again, that's not a bad thing. Um, if you're satisfied with the amount of money you make, you'll, you'll, you won't have the desire to make more money. Uh, if you're satisfied with your walk with God, you're not going to pray anymore or do anything extra because this is a good place. Me and God are in a good place right now. I'm satisfied the way things are, and that's going to take away uh, your desire for more and desire to grow more. And if you think about it, how can a, a finite person, a, a frail, incomplete person, ever get to the point where we are satisfied within an within, uh, uh, all-powerful God? 
God, we don't, the, the, the little bit that we know about God is just scratching the surface of who God really is. But how is it that we can ever truly get to a place of satisfaction where I've got enough of God, I don't need any more of him in my life. You really, you've reached the end of the universe and you've searched out all of God and, well, this is it. This is all, I'm good right now. I'm good where I'm at. No, there should always be a, a desire in us, though. I need to get more of God. I want more of Him in my life. Even though everything I've experienced is good, I still want more. Those that hunger and thirst after righteousness, they shall be filled. As long as we have that hunger and desire and not get satisfied where we're at, satisfied with the status quo, amen, we will always have the desire to keep on uh, growing and moving forward. Uh, there's a book out there called Good to Great by Jim Collins. He said, the enemy of great, the enemy of greatness is not terrible, is not bad. The enemy of greatness is good. Because we get to the level where things are good and we just stay there. This is good. This is good enough. And then you never, you never reach greatness because we're just satisfied with good. We're satisfied with the status quo. And as, as easy as it can become, uh, we need to make sure that this is a, uh, the, one of the high places that is torn down, that we always go back and to double check, uh, go out back up on that mountain, making sure that uh, we are still seeking after God and still wanting to grow and, and never satisfied where we're at. Uh, and to keep on moving forward because I know that God has more in store for me and more in store for you. So why would we want to stay here? Why would we want to settle for this when God can do uh, more, so much more and he has so much in store for us? We need to make sure that we don't get stuck here uh, with the altar of satisfaction and we break that down, amen, and so that we have a desire to see uh, the more. A second altar I can uh, uh, put out there is the altar of uh, comparison. Another dangerous altar that can get a lot of damage is the altar is built when we start uh, following other people's lives and we try to keep up with them. We measure ourselves against each other and the, uh, the, this is obviously a big altar out there because of social media. I mean, it just guarantees you're going to have these altars built everywhere uh, if you have all these accounts, always trying to keep up. Not that it's uh, everyone who has an account is, is under this, but uh, you can still, uh, some people just, they, they just get hooked on it and always trying to live up to others. We start comparing ourselves to others, and the only thing that we will get out of it is frustration. And uh, self-worthlessness. We, we feel that we'll never, we'll never good enough, we'll never add up. Why? Because we're always comparing ourselves. They have this and their life is better than ours and they went there and I, I always wanted to go there. Or, or why do they get to do that and I can't. All that leads up to is frustration. With life there is no possible way, no possible way to accurately compare two lives. You can't, it's impossible to compare, uh, act, uh, accurately compare two lives. If you have the same birthday, you're born at the same time, that doesn't mean your lives are going to be the same. You still can't compare them because the way this person grew up and the way they grew up, all these other millions and millions of factors in our lives uh, just because you may have the same birthday or, 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 or whatever similarities we have uh, doesn't mean uh, you'll be uh, able to compare yourself with them without getting frustrated. No, it's impossible to do that. That's why Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians, For we dare not make ourselves a number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, uh, but they measuring themselves by themselves and comparing themselves among themselves are not wise. Why? Because you'll, it only leads to frustration. This is what Israel did as a young nation. God called them out. 
He said, you are a peculiar people, a, a holy nation. Uh, uh, I've set you apart. You're, you're not like any other nation in the world. Established you. You're going to be so unique and so different uh, because uh, I'm going to be your God and you will be my people. Uh, and you will be ruled by God's chosen leader. But what happened is they looked around at everybody else. They looked around at all the other nations, and they, what they saw was, well, they, they're ruled by a king, they're ruled by a king, 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 king. We don't have a king. We want a king. That's exactly what God did not want for them. You're a peculiar people, a, a holy nation, a chosen people. Uh, uh, you should not want what, everything, what everybody else has. Uh, and so what happened is they said, well, this guy, he looks like he'd be a good king. Uh, and Saul let him rule over us. And so that was their attempt to, to forsake God and uh, forget about the prophets. We don't want to be ruled by the, the, the man of God, but we want to be ruled by a king. And it didn't end up very well because Saul ended up serving himself rather than God. And so when you compare yourselves to others, you're, you're lowering your standards. That's the, that's, that's the bottom line. We lower our standards when we compare ourselves to other people. Because God does not tell us to be like that person, to be like them, to be like them. He doesn't say that. God wants us to be like him. And so what happens when we're trying to be like them, we, we lower our standards from what God's calling, and now we're lowered to be some like be, be like some man or woman uh, who, who, who may be good or not, I don't know. But the, the, ish, the bottom line is we lower our standards because God has called us to be like him and to mold ourselves and shape ourselves to be like God. And so why would I want to be like anybody else when God says, hey, come and be like me? That leads to nothing but frustration. And that can easily be a high thing in people's lives. Uh, that really deals, uh, works against them. Because uh, how, can, how can we truly be the people that God has called us to be when we, we're stuck with all these other issues that we haven't got rid of in our life? If we're trying to be like a, another person and not like God, we can ne- we'll never be like that, the, the man or woman God has called us to be because we're not focused in that direction. And so there's always going to be somebody out there that has it better than you. And there's always somebody out there that has it worse than you. And so there's no reason to to compare uh, because it doesn't ever work out. And so tear down the altar of comparison, the high place of comparison, and focus on your giftings, focus on your callings and your talents, and strive to be the best person that God has called you to be, and let other people live their life and let them work out their own salvation, because God has called me to a high place, and I want to make sure I want to go there, not worrying about what anybody else has done. And so, again... We can have a great blowout service, and God can do all these great things. That still doesn't mean we're not going to deal with comparison on Monday and and deal with uh, uh, complacency on Tuesday and all these other things in our life that can easily be, be, uh, be there in our life that are not took down. Musicians, if you would come. Another altar that uh, can be a high place in people's lives is the altar of fear because fear strikes at the very heart and soul of a person. Fear will stop you dead in your tracks and all forward progress is halted. You won't want to open that door. You won't want to take a leap of faith. You won't want to take a next step because fear will paralyze you. And not only will fear hold you hostage, but fear makes you turn over your decision-making ability to somebody else. Since you can't make a decision, somebody else does, and you lose out on that. And so God has given each of us the power to choose, power to say yes or no, to do this or that. But if we can't move or, or think or talk or act because of fear, then somebody else will do that. Amen. And so when a child of God is affected by fear, we can become ineffective in the kingdom of God. 
We can't do what God wants us to do, and we won't advance the kingdom because everything comes to a halt because uh, of this thing in our life. That still doesn't mean that we can't come to church and have a great worship service and, and not, not deal with fear anymore in our life. No, uh, that can still happen. You can still come and, and run the aisles, but on, but on Wednesday you're, having a, you're, you're fighting with fear. And so uh, God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And the Holy Ghost given us power uh, to deal with these things. And so don't let fear rob us of the blessings of God. Don't let fear keep us from uh, our destiny. Don't let fear uh, keep you from who God is calling you to be. That, was, that altar needs to be broken and torn tore down so that we can move forward and do whatever God has called us to do. Amen. The, uh, the last altar in our life, or for, for today, I guess, uh, again, there could be many things you can plug in here, these high places that need to be taken down. Even though God is still actively moving in our lives, doesn't mean there's no high places. Uh, the last one that we need to tear down in our lives for today would be the altar of, of isolation. This altar speaks to your mind, tries to convince you that you can do it on your own. That you don't need help from anybody, that you don't need to go to church, that you stay home all the time and, and just watch online. And uh, the danger of isolation is, is that you are alone. That you are disconnected from the body, uh, the physical body. Um, we know that when a, a lion gets hungry and wants to eat, he looks for the best victim. The, uh, the lion only has a certain amount of energy that it's going to exert. And so any second wasted could be the difference between eating or not eating. And so the lion will choose its prey carefully. And what is most attractive to the lion is one that is isolated. One that's just kind of a little bit away from everybody else. Not going to waste my energy on the big crowd when I can target somebody that is isolated. If I can get one away from the pack, if I can get into their mind and, and cause frustration and anger or bitterness and, and, and to cause them just to slowly start uh, dripping away, uh, pulling away from uh, the body and the church they're becoming an easier target for uh, the enemy because of isolation in this high place uh, that may be in our life. Even though we'll show up and church will be good and hopping on Sunday does not mean there's not an altar of isolation in our life that we have to deal with throughout the week. And so the Bible tells us that our adversary is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He knows he has no power over the entire herd. But if he can try to get one aside, he can have a better chance of, of having victory over them. So he'll look for those that are isolated from the body and those that are separated from the church as a target to work on to keep them, either to pull them further away or to keep them from ever coming back. And that's a lot easier to do when we are isolated, not connected to anybody else. Because he does not want to mess with the church as a whole because we know that he has no power over the church. Because Jesus said that the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. And so the safest place, the strong tower, is the church of the living God. And so that's where we need to be as much as we can, being involved and staying connected with the church and the body of Christ. Uh, because the altar of isolation works against somebody to keep them away. You stand with me today. There is strength in the body. There is encouragement in the body of Christ. There is healing in the body of Christ. There is deliverance in the body of Christ. And so don't let your pride keep you from getting help. We all need help. We all need each other and we all need God. 
Ecclesiastes says two are better than one because they that have a good reward for their labor, for if they fall, the one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him that is alone when he falleth, for he hath not another one to help him up. And so we need each other. And ever the more so in these last days, boy, do we ever need each other. Because this world is turning darker and darker by the day and week. Uh, things uh, we don't even uh, recognize uh, our country anymore. We don't really see, uh, uh, identify uh, and find comfort in our world any longer. And that's okay because we just know there's a departure that's getting ready to happen. I believe God's getting ready to move his church out of here the further we come uh, from the world, the further we're being pushed away. That's okay. We're just getting pushed closer and closer into the hands of our God. And so we got to come to church ready with our minds made up and say, hey, I'm not leaving here. I'm not leaving without a touch, a a word from God. I'm not leaving without God in my life. And I'm going to go home. And I'm going to search my life. And I'm going to search for any high places that needs to be broken down. You see, God can fight the battle. But our part is we got to go in and break down any altars. Break down any things, any hindrances, any things that keep us away. Uh, We know that God can do it, but we're the ones that need to make sure those things are torn down. Hebrews 12 and 1, wherefore, seeing we are also compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Uh, And so he's where our eyes need to be focused on, is on Jesus, looking unto him. He is the author and finisher of it all. And it all all wraps around him and his calling and his kingdom and his purpose in our lives. And we don't need to get caught up uh, with uh, a a good worship service. And again, I don't want to talk, I'm not talking bad about it. Uh, we need those every week. We need to have uh, we need to have a better worship service next week than we did today, and a better service after that, and after that. And uh, I just here to tell you, let's not uh, get all caught up in that. That we begin to think that there's no more dangers around us when we could still have high places that haven't been torn down. But but I, I felt the presence of God. Yeah. But God did this for me, yeah. It doesn't mean he's a, he approves of what is still built up, of what has not been torn down. What he wants us to do is to, to, to grab so close, get so close to him and, and see all that God does here in our life and, 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 and encourage us to go home and say, God, uh, I want to get closer to you. Is there anything in my life that you're not pleased with? Is there anything in my life that I need to get rid of, that, that I need to turn off or put aside, or, or that I've, I've spending too much time with this, and when I could be spending more time with you? Uh, the, the, the Sunday uh, services where we get together and get rallied together and get excited for what God is doing should help us to go back home and say, God, I want that at my home on Monday. I want to feel you like that on Tuesday. Is there anything in my house that is keeping me from this? Is there anything in my life that is keeping me from from drawing closer to God and and drawing closer to you? uh, Are there any weights in my life that are just kind of weighing me down? Doesn't mean that God won't show up. Doesn't mean we won't ever feel His presence anymore because God is, is a God of love and grace and mercy. Uh, He's not waiting for us to get everything perfect. He's trying to lead us to that place. Uh, Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't have everything everything in order, in line in our life when God came to us. But what he did for us makes us want more. 
it should make us want more and drawing closer to him. And so that should lead us to look into our life and examine our hearts and our life. Is there anything, is there any high places in my life? So I want to open up these altars today. Those just want to come and, and seek the face of God. And, and yeah, we, we celebrate the, the battles that God wants. And, and we're here to rejoice and to have a good time. But also remember that there could be some high places in our lives that still are not torn down. So will you come, let's come and worship the Lord today. Let's come and seek the face of God. God, is there anything, Lord, that I may not even realize that God will lead you to? He'll lead you to that high place and say, this is the discomfort that I feel. That I need to remove this thing. Help, help me to tear it down, God. Because God has great things in store for us. And we got to make sure we're ready to go. Not holding on to anything extra or anything weighed down. Come on. God's going to do something great in your life. We're going to take the victories with his. Come on. God is for us. Who can be against us? Let us draw closer to him and check out our lives. Is there anything, God? Hallelujah. My, we are on the winning side. God's not going to fail us. Hallelujah, Jesus. Well, will you search your heart? Will you search your life? I'm going to see a victory. God's got great things in store. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. 